Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this hour that you've given us to come together in such a way and to study your word. I pray that you be with us as we're looking through Acts chapter 5 and uh, trying to complete chapter 5. I pray that you give us understanding. And Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts through your word and that we may live uh, according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I feel like I'm uh, a little bit out of loop from last week. No, I, didn't, I don't feel a little bit out of loop. It just uh, there's a one week gap. So we'll, we'll continue with the recap, a little bit of recap of what's going on. So we know that in the book of Acts, um, uh, we were looking at chapter 5, 1 to 11. It is about the story of Ananias and Sapphira and what they've done. And after what they did, that is the Ananias and Sapphira story, which is also very crucial to understanding the, the events that are happening in the book of Acts. And also it is crucial to understand the presence of the Holy Spirit and how one ought not to take advantage of God, you know, by sort of uh, deceiving God in the sense, but then deceiving themselves. Have you ever noticed that from anybody else? They're deceived. If somebody else is deceiving someone, they're actually deceiving not just others, but also them, themselves, right? At least I think in that way. If someone is trying to deceive somebody else and they're trying to get in their own trouble, they're buying their own trouble by, by doing so. So we learned that Ananias and Sapphira's story and then God has killed them because God doesn't take his presence lightly. And there cannot be, just like a sort of resembles uh, the Old Testament events and especially one of the events was the people entering into the land of Canaan. God commanded the Israelites to clean up the mess already that is in Canaan before entering into the land. So, so he wants his people to be holy and he wants his people to represent God in the right way. And so... Obviously, he took that very seriously. So we learned that from 1 to 11 about Ananias' story and uh, Sapphira. And then uh, we also learned from uh, verse 11, great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So apostles also after that did many wonderful things. And by the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So they were actually giving on to listening to the apostles under Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. So this is also amazing because what we're going to look at is how the authorities were involving in um, and pressuring the disciples and apostles from not sharing the word of God, from not sharing Christ. So this is a, one of the key verses, I would say, for the following things. And, and what do we learn? Um, and the rest of, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. This is going to cause an issue because these are nothing but after all, some of them are fishermen, this poor man, but they're really preaching and teaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is really causing a problem with the authorities. Obviously, uh, they didn't want Jesus to, you know, from human perspective, to survive too long. They wanted to kill Jesus because he was doing mighty things. And he was equalizing himself with God. And he even said before Abraham was, I, I, I am. And that just hit them in a the wrong way. So there are so many instances where Jesus was telling them the truth, but these people do not want to accept it. They want to deny him. They continue to deny him. And even now, after Jesus' ascension to heaven, they continue to deny Jesus. And so what we read here in 13, 5.13, and the rest of the no man joined. Nobody was so brave enough to join them, but people magnified them. And this, as we look into the next verses, is going to cause some problems. Yes. Actually, what I want to find, I'm using 
religion is, is the level of racism that goes on within the Jewish community. Uh, yeah, certainly they tried to kill Jesus when they when he commits, in their mind, blasphemy when he says, before Abraham was I am, in reference to Exodus 3. But also, remember, they tried to kill him and throw him off a cliff when when he reminds them that, you know, there were there were lots of lepers in, in the days of Israel, but only Naaman was healed. There were lots of widows who were going hungry during the famine, but but Elijah was or Elisha was sent to a Syrophoenician woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, oh! you know, and it also brings back memories. It also sort of correlates with with uh, sort of Stephen. Okay, so everyone's listening to Stephen and what he has to say until he gets to a certain point. Uh, Paul, everyone's listening until he gets to a point where he says, I was sent to the Gentiles. Bam! No. Mm-hmm. Shut down. Yeah. I mean, that, that uh, where Jesus was talking about uh, the lepers and, and, uh, and, and the Old Testament, it was, I think it was Luke chapter 4 where he read the scroll of Isaiah just a little bit. He closed it and he actually opened up for a conversation that really pushed them to the wall, the, the people that were listening. In, in a sense, he was saying, you people never listened to the word of God. You never obeyed God. You're still here. When I'm reading the book, I scroll of Isaiah, you're just looking, staring at me. Who's this man? He talks like the one with, a, with an authority. He's, you're staring at me, but you're really not taking the word to the heart. So this is there. This has been there all the time. And, and I mean, yeah, obviously, Jesus said so many things that, that provoked them. Well, they shouldn't be provoked. They should be listening to and changing their hearts and being repented. But then they took it in a different way. You know, because I think their hearts are already hardened. And uh, Jesus understood that Jesus knew the hearts of men before he even met Nicodemus. Scripture, I believe, in uh, John chapter 2, it says that Jesus knew the heart of men. How would he knew the heart of men if he's simply a mere human being? Right? And Nicodemus comes to him and, and asks Jesus, but Jesus never... Stri- <laughs> That's one of the things with Jesus. He doesn't answer straight. I'm like, come on, Lord, why... You can simply say A is A, but why do you want to go A is C? He just, he just never went straight. He is, but I mean, it's just really interesting how Jesus taught while he was on the earth in his ministry. But everybody else, you know, hated Jesus because uh, he was so straightforward. There's no sugar coating in his speech. There's none of that. He's very straightforward. Yes. But I think in, in John, I think that he does answer in John why he's not always exactly straightforward because you know so sometimes he goes around things because he, he answers he says if I told you of, of if you don't believe me when I tell you earthly things yeah. how, why would you believe me when I tell you of heavenly things mm-hmm. you know, he's like if you can't even grasp these little concepts that you're sort of used to and you can grab hold of why would you think you could grab even deeper things? It, it, it's like trying to teach calculus to a, a kid who struggles with addition and subtraction. <laughs> it's just not going to happen, you know. And so that that's sort of like Jesus's uh, approach on a lot of the, this type of stuff. He's like, listen, you know, I can't really tell you the really complicated stuff, the the heavenly things, because. You're just not in a place to understand that. They're not willing to get out of that 
the point where they're stuck. They're like, are you telling us that we are wrong? Are you telling that we are wrong? Are we wrong? We are wrong? So they're just stuck on that little wrong thing. They're not coming out and seeing what really, what actually Jesus was saying. So that stirred up a lot of people. And a lot of people, obviously in Gospels, we read a lot of Jewish people want to kill Jesus. And that is the emphasis here in in Peter's words, but uh, that we read even in chapter 3, even here, he's going to start the same dialogue in just a little bit, actually a speech in just a little bit. So people killed Jesus, obviously, because of, you know, some say he's ruthless, but I don't think he's ruthless. He's, he's straightforward. There's a difference be- between being ruthless and being straightforward. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, though, people tend to think, you know, Jesus is, is this brand new category, but when you, when you read like the book of Ezekiel, and God says, Son of man, are these elders going to come before me and inquire of me when they have idols in their heart? And he says, No, they're not going to inquire of me. And I'm not going to give them, I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear because, you know, they're not really interested in hearing what I have to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like I would say, God is not willing to waste his precious time. Right? I mean, that's why he, ta- he started talking parables because he doesn't want to waste his time. He wants to move on. And then if you look at half of Matthew, uh, maybe Luke chapter 9 or maybe Luke chapter 13, somewhere around there, both in those Gospels, you see Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. When that began, that moment began, where Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, what does it mean? He's going to offer himself to die for the sake of the world. That is, the, that is where his journey starts towards Jerusalem, meaning he's never going to set his face back again. He's forward moving because he's going to go up and give himself to, you know, to the Romans. So they're going to crucify him. So um, it's just so many amazing things that Jesus has done, Jesus has taught. But these people were never able to come to an understanding that he's talking for their own good. And so... So we are looking here in Acts chapter 5, and by the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were wrought about the people, and they were with all one accord, Solomon's porch. And of the rest, rest durst no man join themselves, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches, that at least Peter's shadow, shadow of Peter, passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities around them unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which are vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one of them. So you see, they're just a backdrop of what's going on here, that Peter and the disciples continued to minister, and they were magnified by the people, meaning they were really sort of, I would say, getting popular, and people are following them, listening to them, because they are doing so many great things. And the evidence of that is also that people brought other people, uh, to uh, to Peter and the apostles, and, and and hoping that if Peter's shadow could you know fall upon them, they might get healed. So this is not sort of a superstitious thing, even though there's so many superstitious stuff in the in the first century and even old century Old Testament times. So this is to say that Peter has the power of God because Peter was filled with who, by Holy Spirit, not by the power of Beelzebul, whatever they call the devil's name is. But Peter was filled with Holy Spirit. He was ministering with the power of God. And God is active throughout Acts chapter 1 until now. God is active and he continues to be active in the lives of his apostles and disciples and his people. So God is active. God is doing his work through 
Peter as the main person, but also apostles were also doing the healing and exorcism. Um, casting out demons and so forth. So they were doing all that. And then we learn about the persecution. I think this is the second time we learn about the persecution in the book of Acts. Um, Well, maybe third time. So I have to go back and look. But the continued persecution of apostles, you're going to see a lot of those titles, the continued so-and-so, the continued so-and-so, because it's sort of repetition, but with different people, different spots and different things. So the continued persecution of the apostles. So what's going on? Let's see. Then the high priest rose up and all that they were with them, which is, in the, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. What is your problem, Sadducees? You're filled with indignation. That means they're just so angry. Why are they so angry? Look at uh, verse 13. And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. They were all gathering in the Solomon's portico. They were listening to the apostles. Apostles were teaching, preaching, healing. There are a lot of things that are happening and these people are losing grip. What happens if uh, we're on two political sides of the party where your people are coming into my party? You won't do everything to even put dynamites under my building, right? So just an example, there's going to be a lot of tension, a lot of hatred, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of the indignation. There's so many things that's going to go on in the mind of a person when he is losing something. So, so think about this. The Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, all these scholarly people, at least they think they know the law. When these people are witnessing what God is doing through these simple human beings, fishes of men, where people are following them, they're getting a good name outside, and people are really coming from all over and believing in this Jesus. Even they hate to say that name. Until now, these authorities did not say Jesus. Did you notice that? Don't preach in the name of that man. So that man. Don't preach in that name. His name. It's always name or man, but there's no uh, word as Jesus. They, they don't want to say the word Jesus. So there's a lot of stuff that are going on in here. I wish to complete chapter 5 today. I, I want That's why I might be running around. So just... Uh, just so you know. So there's again there's, uh, this persecution. The high priest rose up and all they, they that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and what happened? When, and they were filled with indignation. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Before, they were putting them somewhere, some, some room maybe, but now it's like a common prison. So, so this tells us that the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is a sect of Sadducees. Sadducees don't believe what? There's no resurrection for them. They don't believe it. So they were so angry. And this tells us the high priest and the party of Sadducees are with one with the, with the crowd. Probably they're listening to what is going on. So they're part of this whole teaching and preaching of apostles. They may be sitting somewhere, but they all rose up and were filled with jealousy. Because everybody is so listening. And we see the work of the apostles, the ministry of science and wonders certainly caused them to get upset. What else would cause them to get upset if it's not their work? And, and they were upset because a lot of people were honoring, as you look at verse 13 here, they're honoring uh, disciples and actually praising really what they're doing and they're really paying attention to the teachings of the disciples. And obviously this is causing such a great concern and they were arrested here. So this is, I think, the second imprisonment of the apostles. So they were put in jail, but something happened. Right? They laid their hands on the apostles, put them in the common prison, and so they were arrested. So what happened there? The continued and miraculous deliverance by the Lord. The Lord delivered before. The Lord is delivering again. Right? 
what is their desire? What is the desire of the disciples? Now, I'm going off the notes here, so I don't know if... Uh, you know, I, I don't really keep up with the notes, just if you, if you gather it or not. I write notes, but I don't always follow it. I don't know, just something. So, God is going to deliver them again because they were in the prison. God has delivered them again previously. What is that we can see from the disciples? They not only followed in person with Jesus, they went with Jesus everywhere, right? And there's not only people defended Jesus, some of the disciples defended Jesus Christ. Example, Peter, he was up there. Oh, I'm going to be crucified. No, Lord, not now that's going to happen. I'm not going to let that happen. As long as Peter is alive, forget it, kind of a thing. But so there were disciples who were defending Jesus and all that. And also, the main thing that I see in the lives of disciples over here, our apostles, is their dedication to serve God. They saw Jesus Christ. They were with Jesus Christ. They ministered with Jesus Christ. They witnessed the power of Jesus. Now they also are witnessing the power of Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to go. And when I go, I'm going to send my comforter. Right? So comforter was with the disciples and they see the power of the Holy Spirit. And look at that. Even though when they arrested the second time, they put him in common prison. It didn't stop them. Now look at God's work here. It's not disciples' work anymore. From this point, it is God's work. So what happened after that? But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, speak in the temple of, to the people all the words of this life. The angel of the Lord. How many of you know who the angel of the Lord is? I don't believe it's simply just another angel. Like, you know, like Gabriel and so forth. The angel of the Lord is usually used uh, in the Old Testament for Christ. And some believe that it is Yahweh's presence in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Luke mentions more about angels. And we find two more instances of deliverance by angels in the following passages. But the angel of the Lord usually refers to Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, that's a debated thing. I know Walt, he, he argues that angel of the Lord... Uh, isn't actually God because he says in the Old Testament they never confuse those concepts of, of Yahweh and an angel. And so he, he advocates that they're, that they're separate. But no matter how you look at it, the angel acts uh, with the express intention and on behalf of Yahweh at best. I mean, he does things that, that only Yahweh does. And Yahweh doesn't give allow people to act on behalf of him, right? He's, he's a solo personality. So angel of the Lord speaking for Yahweh, who could do that? That's why recently, not recently, this is going on for a while, Heiser comes out with two powers, two Yahwehs in heaven, two powers in, in, I mean, Yahweh is nothing but Jesus in the New Testament. There's no big difference. Well, I mean, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, just in Exodus 3, you've got, the, you've got Yahweh and you've got the angel, angel of Yahweh. Who's got more power? The Lord says. And so it, it, it seems there's really no differentiation between those two figures. Because Moses listens to the angel. The angel of the Lord speaks to The Lord's presence is there, but angel of the Lord is the one who communicates with Moses. Moses, Moses. It's the angel of the Lord who calls Moses, not Yahweh. I mean, how... See, that, that just, uh, that's why I get goosebumps. I tell scripture is just so beautiful. <laughs> it is just, just so beautiful. If you dig into it, you see a lot of precious things in, in the scripture. So it's not the Yahweh. Yahweh is like basically, the way I picture it is Yahweh is sitting back. 
and the angel of the Lord is doing the discussion. Who, who rescued Israel, if not thousands, if not, some people say there are millions of people, some argue about maybe 20,000 people, some say not that many and so forth. It doesn't matter. But who rescued Israelites out of Egypt? Yahweh or the angel of the Lord? Who brought them out with these 10 plagues? Yahweh or the angel of the Lord? Who showed the power to the Egyptians' gods and who showed his power to Pharaoh? Yahweh or the angel of the Lord? Who brought them into the land of Canaan? Yahweh or the angel of the Lord? I'm not going to go on and on and on and on and on. It's the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? If he's simply an angel, even Mike, Michael, archangel, doesn't have all the, God doesn't give him all that power. Michael's probably waiting to take, in, to take a, a, what is that, a word from the Lord. Lord, is it ready? He's probably just ready to just pull his sword and go, go fight. But the angel of the Lord must be a power, an angel that has equal power as Yahweh. Who else is that going to be? I and the Father are one. Right? They're co- who's co-equal? Who is co-equal, so authoritative like the Lord himself? There's no other angel who's so co-equal and authoritative like the Lord himself. So it had to be Jesus Christ. I know uh, Watke has a different view of Old Testament. Yes, but he's a, an excellent scholar, but still slightly different. But uh, Heiser says there are two Yahwehs in the heaven. There's two powers in heaven. I don't have any problem accepting that because Father and Son are one. Who created all these things? Is it Yahweh who created all these things? In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Who is that Elohim in the beginning? Genesis chapter 1. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. It is Christ. All things were made by Him for Him. So who is that Elohim? Christ. Oh, aren't there several Elohims? Yes, the Elohim means gods or God. So Christ is just one of the gods. No, he is the unique God, singular, unique Elohim. And if you look at Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, the Yahweh Elohim, now there are two. It's just the name, but still, you know what I'm, what I'm saying? So Christ was involved from day one. All those things that I mentioned earlier, like who rescued Israel, who brought them out, who showed the power, who was at the burning bush talking to Moses, all this is angel of the Lord. So angel of the Lord is considered as Christ. A lot of them may disagree with it, but then I'm not just convinced with any other explanations about who that angel might be. And then it offers a sacrifice to yeah. the angel of the Lord. And so uh, an angel would never accept a sacrifice. And then another incident, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who was who that who fell on Peter's feet, uh, tried to worship, and Peter said, no, 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 get up. Maybe in, in Acts chapter 2 or, or, or 3, um, Peter was not willing to accept the worship because he's just a mere man. So only God accepts. Christ accepted worship because he's God. And people didn't even realize that. Why would any mere human being accept worship? That is blasphemy. That is not right. But Christ did. He offered, uh, he accepted worship. And, and, and the other incident, I believe it is a Joshua, where it says uh, the, the commander of the, the Lord's army. Is that what he says? He's probably looking at his sword, how sharp it is. And who are you? Are you on my side or other side? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. <laughs> who is that? Yeah. And then, he, and then he says, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. Mm-hmm. Exact same words that he said to Moses. Yeah, in Exodus 3. I mean, why would it be holy ground if this is just simply an angel? When angels came down singing praises and songs and told the shepherds in the Gospel of Luke, they didn't say, shepherds, stay away, this place is holy. Did you say that? 
Why not telling, why not when angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to give birth. Oh, hold on, Mary, stay away. This is a holy place. Joseph, yes. What is going on with Mary? Joseph, get up. Sit straight. This is a holy place. They didn't say none of that. So obviously, those are hints for us to understand. God is holy, right? When his presence is there, it's holy place. So, so angel of the Lord is usually used in uh, Old Testament for Christ. And some believe that Yahweh's presence is in the OT, Old Testament. And in the New Testament, Luke mentions more about the angels. So in order to understand this concept, you, one must have a good grasp of the Old Testament because you want to learn the Bible, you learn it with the Old Testament, from Old Testament, right? How many of you are New Testament only here? Without Old Testament, there's no New Testament. Now we're thinking, ah, you're biased towards Old Testament because you have a degree in Old Testament. Well, probably. (laughs) So, in this command, the angel gave to disciples, we can learn four things. They must stay. Now I'm running because it's 1034. They must stay in Jerusalem, right? Go and stand. These are commands in the temple. So, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, this, is, this itself is a miracle that we were looking at. The angel of the Lord came, opened the prison doors. And so the commandment is go, stand, speak. So they're supposed to go, stand in the temple. The second command is, well, third command is speak. There's also command is publicly, not private meetings, but public meetings. So proclaim the message publicly, not privately. Don't go to house to house, but it must be public proclamation. Hold nothing back. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Who is this life? Who is life? Jesus, the angel of the Lord said, Go, speak publicly. Go stand, go stand, speak publicly. Hold nothing back. You must speak all the words of life. You continue to preach and teach about the life that life is Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Life, stated in the previous ver- uh, chapter, as the source of life, who himself is life. Jesus Christ is eternal life. What is eternal life? John 17.3. John 17.3 says what? I believe it is John 17.3. This is my one of my favorite verses. 17.3. Okay, so what is eternal life? You want to learn about eternal life? This is where it is. This is the answer right here. John 17, 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What is eternal life? Knowing God? Knowing God is eternal life. Based on 17, 3, knowing God is eternal life. And then we look at John 14, 6. We learn that Jesus is obviously eternal life. So what can we learn from this? Christianity is a call to suffer. And Paul calls Timothy to partake in his suffering so that those who are called to suffer for the sake of his name participate in God's work. Christianity is a call for suffer as we see the, what is, this, what is it called, postmodern today? The postmodern teachings and preachings elsewhere? You give and God will make you rich. <laughs> what? All kinds of teaching. How many, how many, so much of emphasis and, and well, God, the Lord told me to go up in the air and meet the Lord in the air and talk to him and pray to him because I need a, I need a private jet so I can go up in the air and meet the Lord up in the air and just talk, talk to the Lord. Amen. How much is it going to cost? Just a hundred million dollars. So what are we supposed to do, preacher? Right. Take your checkbook out right now. God is telling me to tell you, take your checkbook out. All right. 2,500 per person. You want blessing from the Lord? Write more. 
But what is the point? He needs to have a private jet so he can fly around in the name of the Lord, for the service of the Lord. Why, really, you have to go up in the air to pray. You can go in your room and pray. If people are disturbing, bothering you, you can go into your closet and pray. Didn't Christ say, go into your closet and pray? Just use that as an example, right? You don't have to have a... But there's so many of these things that are going on. And look at the ignorance of people. Even though, I wouldn't say all of them are so ignorant. Even though they know the truth, they still want to be there and listen to this nonsense. What is, a, what is a Second Timothy? Or is it Second Timothy or 1 Timothy where Paul says, In the last days, there are going to be many itchy years. Itchy years. They, want, they will hire their own pastors or teachers. They want to hear what they want to hear. If you tell them truth, like Jesus said, you are a sinner. If you don't believe in me, you don't have eternal life. If you speak the truth, then you're going to be an enemy to the people. Well, I mean, when you think about some of these people like Joel Osteen, uh, everyone loves to listen to Joel Osteen because he, he doesn't like convict you of sin. He never talks about sin in your life, never tells you how you need to change or how you're a terrible person or anything like that. He just tells you how great you are and how wonderful you are. And, and how, how God is just going to bless you. You know, and everybody wants to hear wonderful things about themselves all the time, even if they're not true. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yes. I would say that that's how he built his church. Yeah. You know, because he says what, what people want to hear, but he's not giving them the truth. No, yeah. That's, that's but, yeah. Uh, what can you say about this? Uh, I, I watch all the time. There is a pastor challenging the, the people watching him on the TV and then uh, challenging to give $1,000 and then they guarantee that it will multiply and, you know, uh, give, make them more blessed, something like that. Okay. Yes, I know, but uh, he has a very convincing uh, speech, like using the gospel, using the Bible itself. And it's very, it's like compelling, you know, like, to give more, to give more, so you would receive. There is a price. There is an amount, a specific amount to give, like a thousand dollars. You have. There is a timer, even a timer, yeah, in order to meet this need. And then those who will who will give will be. We will receive more blessings than they have sown. Like, you know, the, the yeah. To 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 understand that, you have to go back to. How can we receive blessings? So, I mean, number one, if, if I ask you, give me $1,000 within this Wednesday by 6 p.m., and God will bless you, and there's a guaranteed blessing that's coming in your way. How do you know, number one, that God is going to, I know you have a need of $1,000 from person. How do you know that God is going to bless me? What if God doesn't bless me? Then you're going to end up saying, you e of little faith. No, don't go that direction because I don't even believe that kind of stuff. So when people ask for money and say there's a certain time that's coming up in your way and that time God is going to bless you, you have to have access to the mind of God to say that. Who's got access to the mind of God? These people that are serving God who's about to be beaten up in the jail, they're just preaching and teaching what Jesus taught them. They don't know the mind of God. They're preaching Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't know anything else besides that. So today's preachers, they, they, they act as if they just went to heaven and came back and they brought a message for you. And, and I've, I've listened to the, so many of those and even lady preachers and men, male preachers, uh, take a checkbook and write $1,000 right now in order to receive blessings. So here's my thing. 
Are we still receiving physical blessings or spiritual blessings? Question. I, I, I always really, really struggle with this because my biggest problem with prosperity, with the prosperity gospel is it makes money the ultimate and Jesus the means to gain. In the name of Jesus. In, Jesus is, the, what is a scapegoat? Yeah. Is it the right term? Jesus, they need, without Jesus, they cannot make money. They need Jesus to make money. Without God, they don't have a life. That is true. Without God, nobody has life. But for them, without God, there is no life at all. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, how, how, what, I mean, this is, this is the thing. Why do we think, or how many of us think, for example, that heaven is going to be filled with millions of Christians? There's a lot of Christianity in the world today and even back then who would use the name of God to do obnoxious things, silly things, sinful things. In the name of God, there are thousands out there who are doing all these kinds of things in the name of God. I mean, to use God's name in vain or to take God for granted, that's what it is. They all are going to pay the price. And these are all going to say probably one day, Lord, Lord, have I not cast out demons in your name? Have I not prayed for a bunch of people? Have I not done this and done that? God is going to say what? Get out. Leave. Now. There's so many Christians who are so-called Christians who are going in that direction, who take advantage of God. And we have to really honor the patience of God at this point, because God is so patient. That's what the Bible says, God is patient. So for those of them who are communicating, I mean, another fact, God's servants, who are true to God's servants, I mean, they don't. They are not articulative in, in, the, in the speech. They didn't take a speech class. You taught speech, right? Fundamental speech. You think Peter is a speech, first class speech giver? Those who are true, their message is so simple. And for the eyes of the world, their message is foolish. Because you didn't convince me. You don't have logic in your preach, preaching. You don't have some sophisticated presentation skills at all. So I'm not convinced. But those who ask those kind of things and say, by this time you're going to receive blessings. How do you know I'm not going to receive blessings? What if I don't receive blessings? What are you going to say? Just like prosperity people, the, the charismatic speaking in tongues. Um, the Lord didn't heal me when you prayed. And they say, what? Oh, because you, have, you don't have much faith. You have to have faith. If you, if you give by faith, and that is another word, in the name of Jesus, if you give by faith, you will receive a blessing. If you don't give by faith, you don't receive blessing. So later on, you don't really have uh, a, you know, a way to go point your fingers at them and say, you said give and God's going to bless me. It's Thursday morning, 6 a.m. God still didn't bless me yet. Oh, because you don't have faith. But what happened? Did you give the money? Yes, it's gone. And then if you say give my money back, they're going to say, once you give it to the Lord, oh, that's a sinful thing for you to do. We cannot believe those things because, see, if God, did God ever bless people by saying, if you give more, I'm going to bless you? Did God ever say that? There's no basis for me to believe that statement then. What did Christ say? He, he, God, well, what does God say? God said, He delights in a cheerful giver, right? It doesn't matter if it's one cent or ten cents. What did the lady gave to God? Like she gave two denarius. Is that what she did? No, she gave two like uh, lepton, which is like a quarter of a denarius. That's all she got. 
was God, did God rebuke her saying, how dare you? I came all the way from heaven and you gave me this. No. God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't matter $1, $10, $5. It doesn't matter. My son, he gives, sometimes he throws the offering. He doesn't know what it is. He just he still throws the offering. He likes that. He waits for the bag to come. If it's too late, he's going to be like, he's about ready to scream. So he needs to get, he needs to throw that. But I mean, God loves cheerful giver. There's no conditions on this. People, when they put this stuff on, on us, like, if you give this much of amount on this certain time of day, God is going to bless you. All that is false. That is the tactic of a false teacher of a prosperity gospel messages. Yes. So, yeah, they claim this in Luke chapter 6, 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that, same measure that we Every false teacher, every false teacher uses scripture. If I'm a false teacher, if I don't use scripture, how are you? How am I going to convince you? You see, if I'm a false teacher, if I don't use scripture, I cannot convince you. So scripture, they need scripture, God's word, and they need God to fool people so they can get what they want. And yeah, give it shall be given unto you. You know, much measure and so forth, but. I mean, really, going back to the problem, to the, to the main cause of this thing, are you giving because you're convicted to give? Or are you giving because you're convicted by somebody else to give, in, in, you know, with a false thing in, in, that, in that conviction? Yeah, Dr. Manasseh, they, said, they said they are just claiming what the, what the scripture promised, like in Malachi, and then when Jacob makes a... Uh, uh, this um, covenant with God, if you're going to bless me, I'm going to give you the tenth part of all the things. Yes, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, such a, that was such a terrible... I mean, so if you understand Scripture, what Jacob does with God is actually a very transactional, horrible thing. Yes. And, and Scripture... So understand that when we read Scripture, we have prescriptive language and descriptive language. Mm-hmm. The Bible often describes lots of different things that are going on, but doesn't necessarily put a stamp of approval on those things. So, for example, you know, it describes the whole situation with David and Bathsheba, but never says, oh, you, if you're a king, you should go out and, and, have, and commit adultery with one of your general's wives. Uh, it never says anything like that. So it, it describes lots of things, and so it describes Jacob's encounter with God and what Jacob says to God. But understand, Jacob in that moment number one, is not mature at all spiritually by any sense of imagination. He's running from his brother who he just lied to his father and stole the blessing and and all of these different things. And so he's running for his life. He's not in a good state of mind. And so he, he doesn't he never really sort of gets it until much, much later. later yeah. So emulating what he does at that very transactional nature. Yeah, God, um, if you give me everything that I need, then I'll consider you my God. What? Same thing, same thing with Jephthah. What did Jephthah do? Give, it, give these people to me, I'm going to give you something. Transactional. Yeah. Deal. Deal goes bad. Yeah, and, and, and so the problem is we assume, like, God is under some obligation <laughs> yeah. to us that we, or God 
we have something that God wants, you know, or God needs, and, and that's the problem. God is not under any obligation to us, and we have nothing that God wants or needs, okay? That is the essential misunderstanding that so many people make. You know, I, I hear this all the time, this bargaining with God. Well, God, if you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. God doesn't care. He doesn't need what you're going to do. You know, I mean, we, we think like, oh, I'm part of the all-star team. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned this in one of the uh, Bible class, I think for high school or for Bible college, where, you know, Lord, if you help me pass this exam, I'm going to do something for you. No, he won't let you pass the exam. Or he won't, he won't make you pass. You have to study, work hard. He's not going to, because I prayed in the past like that. Oh, I wouldn't study, I would go, and I love physics. So I would go and just, Lord, blah, 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 just help me out. No, not for a second. So it's like, that is one of the things with humanity is that we think that God owes us something. And absolutely, he owes nothing. It's because of his grace that we are alive. That is all. There's nothing else. And when it comes to this these people right there, these are really true believers right there. They're not anticipating, expecting any return when they teach the gospel, when they preach the Christ Jesus. So they're just doing it for the sake of people. So if they're saved, they have eternal life. That is their whole thing. But those of preachers today, the so-called preachers who say give and who claims the scripture, obviously, because if, you don't, if they don't claim the scripture, you won't believe them. And scripture is their basis for their false teaching and basis for their false lives. And they make these kind of claims where you give certain amount, this time God is going to bless you. But, you know, on what basis can we ask God to bless us more and more and more? Because according to Ephesians, because what matters to God is not the materialistic blessing. He, he, he never wants us to be involved or be focused on material because he said what? Seek ye the things of the kingdom, rest will be added on to you. So he's focused more on spiritual blessing. And even to the point, can I still ask more spiritual blessing? If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible says he gives all the spiritual blessings. He gave all the spiritual blessings to us. It's already done. What else do we, is there remaining for us to go and ask God to bless us with? Materialism, God blesses those who blesses. God doesn't bless those who doesn't bless. I mean, it's up to God, right? I mean, we have people who are not believers in rich, rich status. Lord, what is this? I'm your servant. I've been saved for the last 35 years and I'm still begging for money. Why don't you give me what, son, I've given you the spiritual blessing. What else do you need? I think this highly, highly misunderstands the reality of this world. So, um, like, th- th- this is like th- this is the issue. Let's say you have a church plant um, in Seattle, and uh, you've got a small room, and it's got like fifteen enough for fifteen chairs, and then you've got an overflow room, and then you know you fill up the chairs, you fill up the, the main room. And then suddenly, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates come in, and they want a seat. Okay, uh, are you going to sit there and say to them, "Oh, sorry, uh, we're all, we're all out of chairs in our regular room, but the overflow is open for you. You, you can sit in the overflow." Uh, our tendency is to say, "No, well, we got to ask some people to move and squeeze some more chairs in there." Uh, but, but the reality is, what what God tells us from Scripture is that this life is basically very a very small internship. And what we tend to think is very, very important in this world and in this life is actually not very important in eternal life. 
and the things that are really, really, really important in eternal life, we tend to see as not very important in this life. And so God tries to reorient our thoughts by saying, hey, listen, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what James talks about as well. When, when he tries to get us to think, wait a minute, the things that you're thinking are really key, really important for eternal life, where you're going to be spending most of your time, are not really that important. Mm-hmm. Okay? So when you think about it, put it into terms like this. So certainly if you're going to college and you're working on your four-year degree, you can take uh, frisbee classes, you can take golf classes, uh, you can take bowling classes. Uh, they have all those different types of classes. But, but does that really prepare you for the work world? Does that prepare you for when you're going out to work, when you're, what you're going to experience and the things that you're going to have? And the answer is no, because bowling, golf, frisbee are, are, are really not all the life is. Okay? And so God is trying to help us to reorient us to say, okay, it's the spiritual things that are going to last forever. It's not those material things, because all that stuff is going to be burned up. You know, Jeff Bezos' house is really nice and everything like that, but it's going to be destroyed. And more importantly, it's just sort of grappling with the realities of how miserable life can be apart from God. I mean, we like to think that, uh, you know, someone like a, a Jeff Bezos or a Bill Gates are in some wonderful positions with all that money and all that uh, stuff. But, I mean, look at their lives. Uh, I mean, both of them are divorced. You know? Uh, and, you know, it, it's, not, it's not like they're living a life so, so many people see their material stuff and say, oh, that's a life to be envied. And then maybe if you, you dig a little bit deeper, then maybe it's not a life to be envied. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, this is so temporary. So, I mean, I know we're out of time. Uh, this earth, this world that we live in is a state of, is a transitional state. You make a choice here, to the left or to the right. You know, left hand is God's not-so-interested hand. <laughs> the right hand, it seems like God's favorite hand. So we see that in the text too. So heaven or hell, which one? How many of you remember this old song, This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. That's exactly what it is. What we, we should not crave for materialistic blessing because God has blessed us already. And for those, of, uh, those people who, who claim to give money and this and that and that, they're using God to make money, that's all. They're using God. They need God to make money and they will pay the price. Until then, they're going to... Oh yeah, that you see, um, all that is on their hands. And God doesn't take that lightly. They're going to pay because they will end up paying at some point unless they repent. They repent and seek God's forgiveness. But we see that a lot in the world today where people are being deceived on a daily basis because, you know, the, the thought, these people are sheep. Sheep goes after what? The shepherd, if I just get them in the right way. So don't fall for that, uh, <clears throat> give me this money so God is going to bless you. You, ha- you ought to be giving with all your heart. Based on what? Not because of somebody else asked you. Based on what the Lord has done for you. Why are they not stopping preaching even though they are slapped and kicked all over, put in prison? Because of what God has done for them. They want to share their eternal life 
that they have with other people. That's why they keep preaching Jesus. Okay, so we'll move on from here next week. Ooh, got, you got two minutes to walk to church. Let's, let's close in uh, prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the word. I pray that you be with us and help us with all these uh, concerns and questions that we have. Father, teach us your word and help us to live a life that will honor you and glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.